Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Praise God. God is good. And, of course, all the time, God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. If you're taking notes, go ahead and open up your notes and um, your notebook. Take out your pen. Or if you write your notes on your uh, smart device, go ahead and get ready. And you you should write this down. Today's title, uh, the message is going to be titled, For the Ages. For the Ages. Go ahead and write that down, For the Ages. And... um, I want you to know this, that what we do um, here, what we do with our lives, um, how many of you guys know that it's, it's for the ages? It's not just for this age. When I say age, I'm talking about the, for this time. But it's also for the time to come. It's for the ages to come. You know anyone that ever made a mistake or, or maybe an old family member that made a mistake? Things that we call like generational we could get into it and talk about like generational curses and all those things that we could kind of dive into. But, but have you, you known anyone that ever made a mistake at some point? And then yet, in a different time period, in the ages to come, there's still things that are happening because of things that happened in the past. You, you've ever seen that, witnessed that, been involved in that? Because what we do is for the ages. How we respond is for the ages. What we say is for the ages. Our words and our actions, our lives will echo in all of eternity. It's for the ages. Sometimes we don't recognize that, that the things that we do on earth, when we walk into glory, those songs will be sung in heaven. Those songs will be sung. Do you know that in generations they would sing songs of past generations? So like the sons of David would sing songs of their father David. They would sing songs of Abraham. They would sing songs of the generations before them. And I want the songs of the generations that are coming. I want them to be good songs. I want them to be faithful songs. I want them to be songs of victory. They're going to be songs of war and songs of struggle and songs of pain. Songs of all kinds of things that we go through. But I want that the generations that come from us, that they're gonna, there's going to be a sound that is released from them. And it's going to be in the middle of it all. There was victory. There was victory. There was faith. There was hope that resided. And um, uh, um, songs are sung from generation unto generation. The Jewish people would share their stories. Did you know that? They were a generational culture. They're a generational culture. They share their stories from one generation to another generation to another generation. The Jewish culture. That's why when the Lord, when they would pass like the Jordan River, when they would pass certain places, like what do we do? The Lord would say, grab 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel and place the 12 stones in those places so that when your children and your children's children pass, they will know the stories of their fathers. What is that talking about? It's for the ages. Generations will declare what happened to the father. That does not mean that we live only in the glories of the past or in the defeats and the ugliness of the past, but that we remember them. And what, will those, what does my song today sound like because of the things that we experienced yesterday? It's for the ages. Amen. Look at someone and say, for the ages. For 
Maybe you're sitting next to someone that you love, as mine is walking away from me. But, but maybe, maybe, maybe you're sitting next to someone you love, and you could look at them, and you just say, it's for the ages. How is that, huh? This love is for the ages. Though you know very well to get over here today, for some of you, it was very difficult. It was very trying, maybe. The car did a hiccup, or, or the child did who knows what, or you know what I'm talking about. But still, it's for the ages. <laughs> this love is for the ages. Amen? All right, we're going to get into that, and we'll see where we go. Um, as we get into this message and into some thoughts here, I've had a, I had a great time. I hope you did as well. And if you have not caught it, the beautiful thing, whether on YouTube or on our app or podcast, you can listen to all of our messages, share all of our messages. But if you were here um, and, and you, you, you were, you're in tune with everything or you're caught up, I had such a great time the last three weeks sharing um, on that topic, childlike search. I hope you did. And for many of you, I've opened up where the person that was on the table for surgery was really me, and I was able just to preach for three weeks things that God was doing and showing and revealing through me. It's almost as if I was preaching to you that which, was being, which I was preaching to myself outside of you, you know, uh, away from you. And um, it, it really was a very uh, refreshing time as God was showing me things about myself, some very um, things, uh, ugly things at times that needed to come out so that he could beautify it. But I had a good time in childlike church, and it's so constant, that phrase. It's an ongoing thing in my life. Childlike search, I don't think it's ever going to end. Even if I'm 80 years old, I'm still going to be preaching and living childlike search in my life because I'm never going to, I don't want to ever lose that childlike search within me. Um, and, 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 and it's so constant and current in my life. That yes, it would be easy to make three weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks, and maybe just do a whole year of childlike search. Um, it, and to continue just to speak on it would be simple for us. Uh, but it's of great importance that we, when we move and yet some things will still blend together, that we are aware, and I say this often here, not to uh, quickly transition to another message. Or quickly transition to another series of messages and forgetting what the Lord may still be stirring in us in, from prior messages or prior teachings. Sometimes you do have to pause. And though you're on week 16, you still have to go back to week 2 and really see what God was saying in week 2. You know what I'm saying? And that's okay. Don't, don't, don't curse yourself and condemn yourself. It's good to go back. Many times I go back to like two years ago. And I listen to a message that I remembered meant something, or whatever it is. And I'll go back and I'll hear it. And, and it's, it's very important for me to do that. Whether it's my own messages, which I'm, I, I hate listening to myself, or whether it's someone else's message that, that I listen to and they pour into me, I go back. And it's important for you as well to go back. To go back often and hear older messages. To take notes on them again and then compare your new notes to your old notes. I dare you to do all those things if you want to grow. If you don't want to grow, then just don't grow. But if you want to grow, do those things. I encourage you to do that. Take notes on them. And then take a moment just to pause and evaluate your life. Evaluate your growth. Evaluate your obedience from that moment to where you're at right now. How have I been obedient to that word? How have I been obedient to this time frame and where I'm at today? How have I grown? How, how much more tuned am I to the voice of God since that message? Man, I encourage you to do that. I really do because you'll go back and you'll recognize like, I still don't have ears to hear. What is wrong with me? And, and go back or you, or you recognize like, wow, I'm hearing so much differently today than I heard. Some of you I'm having, I'm having one-on-one conversations with 
And I love to hear what some of you are saying because I'm recognizing you're hearing different. And it's cool. You had to go through a process. And that's a beautiful thing. You have your, your, your ears and what you're, what the sound is sounding different today than it did a week ago, a year ago. That's a beautiful um, example of someone that is growing. Okay? That is that's, that's someone that's, that's growing. How many of you can say amen? Man, it's hard to preach in a, in a group of people wearing masks because it's like, I think they're okay. I think they're in. I think they're in. I think they're in here. I want to address something today, um, something that I'm sure will be addressed. We'll see how it goes many more times going forward in the, in the days to come. Um, amen. So I'll, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but just really quick, just touch the surface of it. Well, what is it? It's this. It's a... Uh, we're all very aware, we're all uh, very well aware uh, that we are six weeks away from election day. Six weeks. Did you guys know we're six weeks away? And um, with that said, I feel like as a pastor, right, I should address this, I should talk to you guys, and, and we'll see where we go from here. But with that said, you know, think about that. Well, what's going to happen, you might be saying. Or, or uh, what should we do? Um, how should we act? How should I respond about things? And, and all those things. During this time frame, I've been asked the most, like, so, so do you think that the rapture is soon? You know how many times someone's asked that? So do you think, like, we're, where do you think we're at in the book of Revelations? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, God, you know. But the election is six weeks away, and many more questions and things can be asked and said. And the first thing that I want to say is this. It's, I'm not uh, politicizing um, at all the pulpit today. That's, that's not what I'm doing. If you can vote, you vote. If you don't want to vote, don't vote. I mean, though, you should vote. Um, but this is true. This is true. And this is my introduction. Ready? And I've said this so many times. I said this uh, during the Rona, and I'll say it during the election. And this is true. That you must believe uh, that the Lord is sovereign, and he's not worried at all about the next four years. Can you imagine that? You're worried about the next four years. But our God is sovereign, and he's not worried at all about the next four years. He's not worried at all. At all. I want to share a passage that, that Paul writes, and it's Romans chapter 13.1. And some of you are like, oh, you're going there. Yeah, Romans 13.1. And in Romans 13.1, Paul writes this, and he's writing to the church, and this is a letter that's going to be passed down, and here we are, you know, 2,000 years later or whatnot, and we're still reading this letter, and we're still teaching off this one verse. And Romans 13.1, Holman Christian Standard puts it this way, and it's this. He says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. I know, we don't like to hear that sometimes. But I love the second part. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. Amen. New King James says it this way. Every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Holman says everyone must submit to the governing authorities. That's what Holman says. So, so pause there. Think about that scripture. Think about what that means. And where we go with this message for the ages. As we jump into this, one thing that's for sure is this, that we should, we should live in faith. 
we should live in faith. I said to go back and look at your obedience, look at the voice of God and how you're tuned into it. Look at your faith. Is your faith growing? We should live in faith. Another thing that we should live, and I'm speaking to you, man, almost like as an urge, you know what I'm saying? As, a, as an encouragement, almost like a, as a push, like I would want to push a child into the pool because you have to learn how to swim or push them on the bike because you have to finally start pedaling. Well, it's almost like pushing the church because you have to start living like this, and that is in faith. And number two, in boldness. We're called to live in boldness. How do I know we're called to live in boldness? Because the beginning, the early church, the Holy Spirit would fill them. The first evident sign that they were filled with the Holy Spirit was what? Do not say it was speaking in tongues. The first evident sign that they were filled with the Holy Spirit was they were filled with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they were filled with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they began to speak the word with boldness. Boldness is an evident sign that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We should live in faith and in boldness. What else? We should never be manipulated. We should never grow fearful. We should never be swayed by the current earthly culture. Amen? So the answer is simple here in this text. And Paul writes what? Remember what I just said. I said, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. What does Paul say? Here's the answer. The answer is, is, is very, very simple. Paul writes, for there is no authority except from God. Well, how do I just live in boldness? And how do I live uh, not being uh, in faith? And how do I live in everything that you're saying to live, not being swayed, but look at the culture around me. How do you expect me for not to be swayed? The answer is simple. And Paul says, for there is no authority except from God. And then he goes on to say, and those that do exist, meaning those that are in authority, look what he says, are instituted, or your translation might say are appointed, appointed by God. Come on, when you read that, who's really in control? You don't know the answer. When you read that, who's fully sitting on his throne? Who's really calling the marks? And, and we must understand that clearly in this passage. So what is Paul saying here in Romans 13.1? What, 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 what is he telling the church, even us in our day? It's this. We have governing authorities. Yes, we do. But the truth is, there is no authority except from God. We have governing authorities, but there is no authority except from God. It does not mean that there is no authority other than God. That's not what that means. You know when people say, you can't judge me? Rappers even make songs of it. Only God can judge me. No, he's given other people authority. Though authority is from God. Don't tell me I can't judge you. The Bible says, you know, I mean, we've, we've gone over that so much, I don't want to just be repetitive. But yeah, we can't judge. We don't judge your soul to hell, but we judge you whether your fruit is well or polluted. We, we're able to do that. It's with love. It's with compassion. We're able to have that dialogue with each other. So they're misunderstanding and interpreting the scripture. It's not that there is no other authority. What he's teaching us is something very important. Not that there is no authority other than God, but that there is no authority except from God. Those words are so important. From God, not other than God. And that's an eye-opener 
So, so what we see is that those that are in authority or in authoritative governing positions, first before anything else, it is the Lord who has allowed it by instituting or appointing them in their position. Amen. You know, I think about my call and, and my role, even, yes, as a Christian and all these things, husband, father, Christian, all that, son of God, and as a pastor, um, it was almost where when God spoke to me, it was I had to either be obedient to what he was calling me to or disobedient and just walk away from it. It does not mean I was going to go to hell. It does not mean that I wasn't a Christian. It just meant whether I was going to live in obedience or not and really go into greater things in God. But the reality is that in which God was going to call me to, no man was able to, able to put me in that position and place. It was God. All authority comes from God. So, so to say this, in this great hierarchy of what we see that, that our God is the sovereign, right? We see this, right? That he is the sovereign, supreme authority figure. How many of you would automatically agree with that, right? Our God is the sovereign, supreme authority giver. Is he the only authority figure? Or all authority comes from him. And everyone that has authority gets it from him. He's not the only authority figure, but all authority flows from his. Now, whether the ones that it's flowing from are choosing to use it right or wrong, that's their decision. But they've been placed there, instituted, and appointed by the all-supreme knowing authority figure, which is our God, our Lord. Amen. I believe that in Scripture. So any positions placed on this earth should what then? Be knowing this truth in Romans 13.1 should then fall into place and fall into place quickly. They should fall into place. They shall fall subject to his authority and walk obedient in him. And walk obedient in him. But the truth is man is corrupt. Man is prideful. Man has evil and wickedness at times in their heart. We know that. And many have come to believe that they are gods in a sense. And they don't have to answer to God himself, who gave them that position in the first place. And that instantly shows us here, when we read these scriptures and we have this dialogue, it shows us how we should respond to honor or dishonor the governing authorities. Very important that we know this. Listen, whether, whether those in authority choose to believe or not to believe, whether they choose to believe or, or, or even disagree, but yet learn how to respect and live amongst people, yet there's disagreement and they respect it, whatever the cause, that's, that's decisions they have to make. But by no means, and I want to talk to the church, I'm pushing you, I'm encouraging you, by no means can they ever force us against the word of the Lord. By no means, no, no man, no power that be um, can never force us away from the word of the Lord, and we shall never fall so quickly to comply to their demands if it's against the Lord. How many of you know that? Because we know the word. We know the word. We should know the word. And we submit before anything else. I submit to my government. But before anything else, I submit to what? I submit to my heavenly authority. And anything or anyone that tries to suppress, persecute, oppose my, the biblical view, I, we then remove any submission towards it 
or them and fully become bold to live in full obedience to Jesus Christ and his word. To the one true authority on earth, listen to this, and in heaven. To the one true authority on earth and in heaven. What do I mean by that? In this age and in the ages to come. For the ages. It, 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 all ages he is the true authority. And anyone that wants to strip me away from that authority, strip me away from the truth of it, persecute, oppose, suppress, that's where we say, no, the line is drawn. We are faithful first to God. Amen? What, is, what does the psalmist say? In chapter 75, verse 6 and 7, he says this. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Look at verse 7. But God is the judge. He puts down one, he exalts another. He puts down one, he exalts another. So what is one thing that we should do? Going into this introduction, jumping into this stuff, what should we do? I, I hope that immediately... Your response is not, fight. I hope not. Take the swords out. I hope not. I hope immediately your response was, pray. Pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those around them, whether we agree or disagree, whether it's policies we agree or disagree with. We pray because why? What have we learned? Because they've been put there by God. So we pray that they will fulfill his will and that the Lord will show grace. So what am I saying, because it's six weeks away, I'm saying this, that we must be very, very careful in these days. Church, you are the church, you are the bride of Christ, you are special, you are royal priesthood, you are set apart from the rest of this land. You are dressed differently than the world dresses. You're adorned differently. There's an oil that drips over you, that the smell of that oil, no one else has the aroma of that oil unless they're in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? You are, what Peter says, a royal priesthood, chosen generation, God's very own special people. You are his treasure. Either we believe that about ourselves or we don't. And if I'm that in the land, I must be careful. I must be very careful in these days. Very careful. In the weeks ahead, I'm going to ask you, please, not just because you're part of this family, but just because you're part of the family. You're part of the organism of God. You're a part of the body of Christ. You are a testimony, a pillar, a light, and many witnesses are looking at you. And you will either bring them closer to Jesus or you will push them away from, um, away from Jesus. Amen? So in the weeks ahead, maybe it's the years to come, and careful, please be careful with what you do. Be careful with what you say. And even with the election coming up in six weeks, just be careful, be smart, and be wise with whoever even gets elected. The truth is what? My president or any future president or any government will never end my worship, will never define for me what the church, what the, what, what the church or what my Christ is, should be, or how it will be. Neither can I ever give them the power to take heaven's joy from me. They can't have that authority to take away that which has become alive in me. And please always remember that. Why am I sharing this? Because the next six weeks are going to get gruesome, okay? But you're different in the battlefield. You're different. Man, those watching, you're different. You're different. We're different. We carry ourselves different. We speak different. All right. 
Jesus' his exact words over me are found in John uh, chapter 20, 10, 29. Did you like what I just said there? His exact words over me. Why? Because I'm going to make him personal. And I want you to make him personal and say his word, though, was written many more years before I was on this earth. It was written for me. And, and here's what he says. I, at least, if you want to take it for you as well, you could share. I could share it with you. But he says this about me, and it's found in John chapter 10, verse 29. He says, my father who has given them, and I think them there, he's, he was really talking about me. He's given regal to me. And my father, he's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them, regal, out of my father's hand. The Lord said that about me. That I was given to Jesus. The father gave me to the son. And because I belong to him, the father will not allow anyone to snatch me away from his hands. I'll take that for myself during this time. Amen? I'm sharing this. Why? Why are you sharing this? The only way or the only way I could answer that is, is this. Ready? Because we're close. We're close. Whatever we're close to. But we're close. And the Lord is reminding me again today of something sweet of something beautiful, of something that I would call even precious in Galatians chapter 1. Just give me a time to build it up to get there because it's only three verses. But it's, it's something beautiful in my time with the Lord that he, for two weeks he just drove me crazy with it. And I want to share it with you. So as we, as, as we look at some scripture now, we know that men have always done bad, right? Men has done bad. Men has also done a lot of good. But men has also done bad. Men has done some good things, some great things for humanity, for the world, to save a lot of things, and also men has done some evil things in this world. Uh, men in positions to be trusted, positions of honor, whether, whatever kind of leaders they are, leaders and rulers and presidents, I mean nations, nations that were called to lead. Um, this earth has seen, yes, it's good things, but it's also seen its fair share of wickedness. Um, all you got to do is study history, learn through history, just the history of our own country, and you'll recognize a lot of wickedness. The, the, the ground of our earth, truly, the ground of our earth is filled with the blood of many innocent that have been uh, dealt unfairly and inhumane. If the ground could speak, if the blood from the ground could rise up and, and begin to speak, what would be some of the things that we would hear? And that's the truth, man. The, the ground, it's seen things, and it's, 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 things are living in that ground, you know, because blood, blood is alive, amen? You could check someone's DNA from blood found, oof, years, if blood is alive. And if that blood could speak, I mean, what would it say? From dynasties after dynasties, governments after governments, rulers after rulers, and, and so forth. Uh, there has always uh, been wickedness. We know that. The earth and all of creation, I believe, uh, speaks to its creator all that it's seen. All that it's seen, all that it's witnessed, all that it's encountered. But I want to share this as I get into my thought here. You should write this down in your notes. The Lord will make all wrongs right. The Lord will make all wrongs right. How many of you have been wronged before? How many of you tried to make that wrong right, and you knowing that you tried to make that wrong right, all you did was made it a whole lot wronger? A whole lot worse. I should have never done that. I should have never said that. I should have never approached. I should have just... Thought it a little bit more. You tried to make your wrong right, and my God, did it just get worse. I've been there, done that. Some of you guys are like, shit, preach to the choir. I could tell you some things. But the Lord will make all wrong right. Isn't that refreshing to hear, though? I thought about this. 
isn't it refreshing to hear that the Lord will make all wrong right when, it's been, when you've been wronged? Yeah. Make all those people that have done wrong, all those things that have done wrong, make them right in my life, right? It's good to get, yeah, Lord, do it. How about when you've been the one that has wronged? Do you still like that phrase? How are you feeling now? I serve the Lord that makes all wrongs right. You're right. He's talking to you. You know that, right? He's going to make your wrongs right too. Just in case you didn't know that because I know how it is. I can read scripture always with the perspective of I'm going to aim this at someone. And now recognizing that one of the greatest powers that it has, it's always aiming at me. And that is a hard transformation. That's what you need to change. When it's constantly on someone else, you are missing what the heart of God is saying to you. So amen. He makes all wrongs right and it starts with you. Okay, I don't know if I like the phrase as much anymore. But it starts with us. He's going to make all wrongs right. He makes all wrongs right. And he will make all wrongs right. I believe that. He's sovereign. Romans chapter 12, 19, Paul says, Dear friends, he's writing to the church and he says what to them? Never take vengeance. Never take revenge. Never, never do that. Come on, because we want to get even and we want to... We want to say it, and we want them to know what we think. And, and he says, guys, you have six weeks. If you don't want someone to tell you something dumb, then don't post anything. Because you're going to be said. If you're not ready for that, then don't say it. Because there's always going to be someone that's going to go against what you say. You guys understand what I'm trying to say? All right, so let's get into this. Ready? Dear friends, never take revenge. Because then when they say it to you, now you feel what? I'm going to take revenge. Why? You already said what you had to say. Let them say what they want to say now. Nancy, how many people have we seen on social media that love one another, fight against each other? And then I'm like, because they're all revenging one another. They're all making wrongs right. Because who am I to say that you're, if, if, if. All right, I want to get into the scripture. So, dear friends, never take revenge. What does he say? You leave it. <laughs> leave that to the righteous anger of God. I love that his anger is righteous. Because my anger is not righteous. <laughs> my anger is not righteous. I mean, I, at times it can be when he fills me, but I want to grow in that. But God's anger is always righteous. And my anger, I'm not lying. It's not always righteous. Most of the times it's not righteous. A very small percentage it would be righteous. But the majority of my anger, most of the time, it's just not righteous. And the, the, the writer here, Paul says, hey, don't revenge another person. You leave it to the one who knows how to take revenge. Because when he acts in anger, he does it in his goodness and in his righteousness. You know what I've learned about God? That when he works in the wrongs, he's working on both sides. He's not just making your enemies pay. He's trying to win the heart of your enemy as also trying to soften the heart of you. So what have I always learned? When opposition arises, it's not just about the one who's opposing you. It's also about you with the work that God wants to do in you. Because that's the righteous anger of God. The righteous anger of God will never just deal with the enemy, but will always deal with everyone that's involved. Why? Because he could formulate and he could work in a way that we would mess up with our own human anger. It's the righteous anger of God. It's not just any anger. It's the righteous anger. I haven't seen too much righteous anger um, on social media lately. <laughs> I've seen all kinds of anger. 
in many conversations, but not righteous anger. The righteous anger of God. The righteous anger of God. I wonder if God would have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a Twitter page. I'm just wondering. I should go into fasting and pray and really ask for that. Maybe he's like, I do. I have, what's that called when you have a secret, um, secret account? What are those people called? No, it's called something. Maybe someone online will, will give us the answer. Let us know, Rudy, if someone says it. Say it loud. We're in family. It's a finsta? I had never heard of that. All right. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scripture says. What does the scripture say? He's quoting Old Testament. He says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. Or not amen. But what we read and what we recognize in Romans 12 is exactly what we started off with in Romans 13.1. And what is it? There is no authority except from God, through God. Amen? So what does it tell us to do if we're not to revenge? Let me ask you a question. Here it is. When you are wronged, thank you, my brother, online, Maori, burner account. I wonder if God has a burner account. That's the exact word I was looking for, the burner account. God, I fast and pray, Jesus, do you really have a, and he's like, I have a burner account. No one knows. I operate from heaven. I, I, <laughs> All right. Here we go. So what does it tell us to do? If we're not to take revenge, if we're not to revenge people, what do we do? Let me ask you a question. What is the greatest thing you could do when something rises up against you, when there's an indifference, when there's someone that really um, ills you, harms you, speaks ill of you, does something to you, your son, your daughter, does something to a family member they spoke bad about? What do you do? Well, Jesus, uh, Paul doesn't just end with, hey, don't take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. He instantly goes to verse 20 and he says, instead of being angry with your anger, instead, if your enemies are hungry, guess what? Cook them a meal and feed them. Sure, I'm going to feed them, all right. I'm going to put some... They're going to have diarrhea for days. They're going to... No, no, you, you feed your enemy. Instead, you don't speak bad about them, you nourish them. That's what he's saying. You feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them what? Something to drink. You see them gasping in the middle of the desert. Oh, I wish I had some water. He walks away, you take out your cooler and you chug it. I wasn't going to share this with that guy. I know what he said about me yesterday. I'm not. No, you give them the drink. You give them the food. And what does it say? In doing this, you will heap, you will pile up burning coals of shame on their heads. Because that means that they're going to carry that. And they're going to have to really, what, deal with God and repent and really come and confront God and confront you. But you just do what you got to do. Don't worry about all those other things. God will work with them and he'll do in their lives what he needs to do to get them to the point where if it takes burning coals of shame on their heads, I'll do it if it humbles them and it breaks them before my presence. You're responsibility is to continue to feed them with food and continue to give them water to drink. Don't act on your anger. I'll take care of it. How many of you really needed to hear this today? I'm telling you that you're going to need it for the next six weeks and for the years to come. Just don't, don't do it. Verse 21, he says, don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good. If you are involved in it, involved in something, 
involved with someone, whatever it is that's happening to you, and the joy of the Lord is being taken away from you, that's a great indication that you should walk away from that. Walk away from it. It's not supposed to steal the joy of the Lord. Amen? You're allowing what? Evil to conquer. You're allowing evil to conquer. So what do you do? I need to conquer evil. What are you going to do? You do good. What did I say last week? Good works. Good works. You do good. You do what you're called to do. You know, this is so deep, but yet so simple. You do what you're called to do. How many of you know that to do good, sometimes to do bad, it's, it's easier than to do good? I don't want to cook for you. I don't want to give you a cold drink. What I want to do. And the Lord says, and that's why you're not supposed to act out. You do good. You do well. Those passages are so much more than just food and water. It's deeper than food and water. He's giving you the illustration of food and water. But food represents a lot. Water represents a lot. It's not just about feeding them. Oh, hey, don't text me and say, hey, I went to my enemy's house and I, I Uber eat. I, I just did an Uber eat. I went to the house. I couldn't get down. I just did an Uber eat and I, I put a note there. I still love you. It's not really talking about food. <laughs> it's what food represents. You feed them. You continue to feed them like they have not done any wrong to you. Colossians chapter 3, 24 and 25, Holman says it this way, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. Amen. You serve the Lord Jesus. Knowing that you're going to receive, just serve the Lord. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. There is no favoritism. You serve the Lord. So, so what am I saying here in Colossians and in Romans chapter 12? We're not to settle the score here on earth. You should write that on your notes. Don't settle the scores here. Because that is God's doing. He makes wrongs right. He will deal with all wrongdoers. We're not here to settle the score. Come on, I'm holding you guys accountable here with this word. We're not here to settle the score. We're here, write this down. We're here to be salt to the earth and light to the world. If you're settling scores, there is no salt and no light being given. You are called to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world. If your enemy is hungry, you what? You feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, you what? Thirsty, you, what? you give them something to drink. And I'm telling you that those two phrases, study them, get into it. Don't think that this is food. Don't think that this is water. There is nourishment. There is refreshing. That, that means, you know, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, husbands, you grab the word of God and you pour. He, he, he basically is telling us to pour water into our wives. Water, a refreshment. It's, it's an act that we are to do even in our position to our wives. It's, 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 it's give water and nourishment. And yet, not only to her. But to your enemies, you also give them refreshment. And like, I don't know, I'd rather just do it over here. It's, it's a very complicated but yet beautiful picture of heaven. You know, to be on the cross and to be the creator of all things and your own creation is putting you there and shaming you. And one right next to you who's worthy of death. Worthy of death. We don't know much about that man, but we know that he was a criminal. And we know that he was a shameful criminal because if not, they would have never put him on, on a Roman cross. And at that moment, at that moment, at that very second, he says, remember me. 
Lord, just remember me. And at that very moment, he says, no, 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 not just remember you. I'm going to go past remembering you. Today, we're hanging out in paradise. Today, we're going to abide in paradise. You and I, we're walking into glory together. That, that's, that's the heart of heaven. That's the heart of heaven. Heart of heaven. So what am I saying? Let's be respectful with our words. Let's be respectful to our words. Again, I can't stress this. It's easy to do with those who agree with us. But how about those who disagree? Be respectful with your words. What, what else? Be kind. Show compassion. If the language in this nation becomes more cruel, ours should be becoming more sweeter. Much more sweeter. Amen? While everyone is drinking sour vinegar, you're offering sweet honey. Am I preaching to you? Be kind, show compassion. What does Proverbs tell us in chapter 16, verse 24? He says what? Pleasant words. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. You know, you know what that word pleasant words do? I love the word pleasant. Pleasant could be gracious words. Pleasant could mean kind words. Pleasant can mean uh, 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 not just words, but a, a, a gracious way of speaking, gracious speech. That Your speech is even loving, kind, and gracious. That everything that comes out of you. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Look what he says next. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Seriously, being a Christian, being a Christ follower, being a son and daughter of God, do you really want to go and speak something that's going to cause rottenness to the bone? Or do you want to speak words that is going to be what? Sweet and health to someone else's bones. That's so important for us. Be very careful. Don't be so judgmental. Don't be so quick to bring someone down. Just, just recognize they're not you. You're not them. Be kind. Be gracious. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Just be careful. Be kind. If you know right now how you're going to say is not the right way or what you're going to do is not the right thing, that you're not thinking right, guess what? Go home and don't do anything or say anything. Trust me, no one wants to hear it anyways. And you're going to go back home and you're going to regret it. I should have never. And then you're going to yeah, you should have never. How many of you have learned that already? <laughs> how many of you have learned it already and you still have done it? All right, good. I'm not the only one. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Good. But we should want to be what? In, especially in this age, in this time. Health into your bones. Health into your bones. Health into someone else's bones. Paul writes this letter that I want to get into here in Galatians. I'm not going to get into it. Hey, man, the letter of Galatians is amazing. But he writes this letter of, uh, to the Galatians. And, and there's a reason why Paul writes this letter to the Galatians. Because the church of Galatia, um, some false teachers had rose up among them. And it's almost... A normal thing for Paul, poor guy. And Paul had it rough. He had it good. But man, he had it rough. He planted churches, they would grow, great things would happen, then false teachers would get involved, and then they would teach opposite of what he would teach. And he would constantly have to write them back. Get those people out of that church. <laughs> you know, poor Paul, man. I'm going to go over there. He would write these things down. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to settle it with all of you, because I love you. Like, Paul, man, I don't want that. Paul's. But some false teachers rose up among them, and and when you study the book of Galatians, you'll see that these individuals, they began to pervert the gospel of grace. They began to pervert it. They didn't necessarily were preaching it correctly. And their teachings of the law was wrong. They were telling Gentiles, you must all be circumcised. And imagine being a 40, 15-year-old Gentile. Like, uh-uh. 
Well, then you're not part of the family of God. If you're not, and, and these religious leaders were just really making it very hard for people to come to Christ. And um, as they were teaching all these things, whether it's the gospel of grace or the law wrong, this church of young believer, believers needed to be corrected. Why? Because at the end of the day, they allowed it to creep in. How many of you fell for a false teacher? It's not his fault. You allowed that false teacher in your life. <laughs> false theology. A false doctrine. I've seen that. And just, people just scatter. And it, no one forced that. You allowed that in your life. Why didn't you just stay the path? So, so Paul had to correct the church. You allowed the false teachers to have authority over you. You allowed them to speak these things to you. But his introduction to this passage, to this letter being written, spoke to me a precious, a sweet reminder. It was written sometime in the late 40s or early 50s, however you want to debate about that, A.D., obviously. But what's interesting about whether it's late 40s, early 50s, A.D., what's interesting is that we're entering the end part of 2020 A.D. And I love that Scripture has the ability to do this, and yet it still resonates greatly today, though it was written in a different in a different age. You know why? Because the word of God is for the ages. The person of Jesus Christ is for the ages. You know what else I believe is for the ages? Are you guys ready for this? You know what else I believe is for the ages? The church of Christ is for the ages. We've been persecuted. We've been burned at the stake. Alive. We've been... I don't have to get into the details of everything that the Christians have gone through. But yet... The church is still alive. I'm not talking about Nest Church. Amen to that. But the church is still alive. The organism is still alive. Why? Because it's for the ages. How do I know it's for the ages? Because if the spirit of Christ that resurrected from this world is living in me, if the same spirit that is in him lives inside of me and he is for the ages, guess what? The man standing before you, I'm going to take this on my own. Ready? I'm for the ages. How many of you could believe that you're for the ages? I'm not just, seriously, do you think that your life was just for this time? No, my life is not just for this time. My life is for this time and for the time to come. For this age and for the age to come. This is for the ages. Why did I get into the whole spiel of government and be kind and compassionate and all that? Because it's for the ages. So what you say tomorrow, guess what? It may have effect for the ages. Guard yourselves. Be kind, compassionate, because it's for the ages. We're different. All right. So, so this is a beautiful thing. It still resonates. So what does he say? In the beginning of his introduction, Galatians chapter 1. I'm just going to read to you 3, 4, and 5. It's his introduction to the Galatian church. And this is what he says. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Amen. Amen. That he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great introduction. Because I'm about to set something straight. But hey, let me start off this way. I love this because Paul is declaring something in the beginning of here in his introduction. And what he's declaring is something that scripture speaks of often. What is it? It's that while history is, is, is divided, it's divided in, in, in these ages and specifically in two ages. And that is the present age and 
Paul writes here the present evil age and that is dominated by darkness and dominated by the enemy, by Satan. But then there is also an age to come. Then we wonder why we say crazy, weird, freaky things like we need to bring heaven on earth. What are we really saying when we make comments like that? Or when Jesus prays, what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth earth as it is in heaven, on that age as it is in this age. What is he doing? He is blending the ages to come to the age that is person, um, presently and bringing the age to come now to this age to be alive. I mean, we're talking about two worlds, two timetables. Do you understand right now, um, what time is it? 11? Oh, my clock is, my time's wrong. 11, 30, 20, 30. Do you know that in heaven right now, it's not 11.30 a.m.? It's not. Israel right now, it's like, I don't know, 5, 6 p.m. In heaven, it doesn't have Jerusalem's time. In heaven, it doesn't have Hialeah's time. But, but I'm, I'm telling you today, heaven is its own time. It's outside of time. It's the creator of time. And, and when Jesus says those things, and when Paul writes these things, it is the blending of two ages, of two worlds. I mean, talk about fringe and talk about science and i mean this is deep stuff man i mean jesus is standing on the mount of transfiguration and as he's standing on the mount of transfiguration what happens two of the prophets that are in heaven come and visit to minister because his crucifixion is at hand i mean two from another age <laughs> come and visit him in this age why? How does God maneuver in such a way? Because he's a God of generations. He's a God of the ages. What age? The present evil age and the age to come. It all determines whether the church, what age will you live for? What age will you be enraptured with? What age is it that's going to take control of you? Listen, we are presently in this present age. But not a bit and a drip and a drop and a tick and a tock of us is about this age. We are in this age representing, declaring, and whatever else, manifesting the age to come. It's the age to come, but it's the age that is there. It's there, but it's to come. It is the only way to describe God for you. I can't tell you how God was there yesterday and how he's there today and how he's already there tomorrow. But he is. I don't doubt it for once that God's not already at tomorrow. And then God is still here today. It's a powerful thing. All right, that might have confused some of you. Let's get it back into the text here because it just confused me. You're happy that I'm confused. So loving. For the ages. I'm almost done. So this present age has not yet passed away. But there are two ages running alongside each other. They're just running alongside each other. I, was, I almost tapped into the millennial kingdom, but I'm not going to do that. Because talk about ages coming together, but, but there's two ages just running alongside each other. And then Jesus has come to what? To rescue us. How many of you, this passage is not like, oh, Jesus, how many of you are still praying, Jesus, rescue me from this present age? 
But you got to get to a place where your prayer is, Jesus, thank you for rescuing me from this present evil age. Those are two different prayers. If you're still praying, Jesus, rescue me from this present evil age, compared to Jesus, thank you for rescuing me from this present evil age. How many of you have been enlightened by, by, by so many things because of his presence and his word? And you can look at that as thank you for, for delivering me from this present evil age. Okay? And they're running right there. And Jesus has come to rescue us, rescue many from the dominion. The dominion of the old and old and yet present age. To do what? To transfer us. To transfer us into life in the age to come. I love that I could still live in the age to come during this current age. That we could do that. That we could speak differently, live differently, act differently, walk differently, be different. And how come you're so different? Because I don't live for this age. I'm in this age, and I thank the Lord for rescuing me in this old perverted age, but I live for the age to come. That's some weird conversation I have with someone. But open up the portal, open up the door, and say, man, there is a kingdom, and it's a kingdom that is so alive and is so ready to accept you. Are you ready on earth to begin to live in heaven? Oh, man, you're really getting crazy. Well, let me tell you, Paul was shaken by a venomous snake. He, he was bitten by it. But he said, not in this age. And he shook it off. And they began to worship Paul as a god because the venomous snake did not kill him. Because he wasn't living by the laws of this age. Paul says, I'm not, God's not done with me. He shook off the venomous snake and he continued to live on with his ministry. Why? Because he lived and he walked and his purpose was for another age. And God was not done with him in this age yet. Amen? Amen. We could go example, example over this stuff. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, I love this, that, that Paul also writes this. So in Galatians, he gives us this, this beautiful scripture of this present evil age and delivering us from it. But look, what has, look, at, look at Paul's mind. Look at his writing to the different churches. He also says this in chapter 4 verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Since we have this ministry, how many of you know you've been given a ministry? A ministry. You've all been given a ministry. Every single one of you have a ministry. And you're living in your ministry. Some of you are living in a ministry and you don't know it's a ministry. And it's a ministry. Your family's a ministry. Your children's a ministry. Your spouse's a ministry. Your neighbor's a ministry. Your co-worker's a ministry. You guys know what I'm saying? You're in ministry. You are immediately pushed into ministry. Now, you want to go to seminary or you want to go to a special schooling and you want to sit down and have Bible studies. Those are all bonuses. But that does not mean that you need to go through that to be in ministry. You are in ministry if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You're in ministry. Amen? So he says, therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown what? Mercy. We do not give up. I love that. I'm in ministry. So what do I have to do? I can't give up. Have I wanted to give up? She's right there in the front. Absolutely. Yes, I've, had, I've wanted to give up. But what happens? I'm in the ministry, and I've been shown mercy and grace from the Lord. He's been so good. I can't give up on him. Instead, what? We've renounced the shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message. Amen. But we're commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by open display of the truth. Did you just catch that? My ministry is not only unto the Lord, but I need to learn real quick that my ministry is also before others. When we start to think, oh, well, my ministry is just unto God. Listen, you are deceived if you think that your ministry is just before God. Your ministry is unto God, but also before the people that he loves. And that's what Paul is telling the church here. The, Eugene Peterson says it this way. We're not about to throw our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks. Though, wear masks. This is a spiritual thing. Spiritual thing. 
We, we, refuse, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes, and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Thank you, Lord, for this ministry. Not Nest Church. This is a bonus of my ministry. My ministry is not a church. My ministry is beyond this. What does the Bible say? If your home is out of order, what do you do? You drop your gift at the altar and you go back and you fix your home and then you come back. Why? Because you got your ministry wrong. It's deeper, my ministry unto the Lord, my service unto the Lord. It's deeper than all of this stuff. We got to get this, man. We got to get it quick. And this is what he's saying. It's unto the Lord. It's before others. Many are watching. He says, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded. So there's a God of this age. Not our God, but there's a God of this age. And he has blinded the minds, blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Doesn't the Bible say it over and over and over and over again? The message of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who do not believe. It's foolish. They're not going to get it. Why? Because they've been blinded by the God of this earth, by the God of this age. I want you to know, though the enemy and enemies, because I have a whole view on that stuff, man. They're Satan's and they're Satan and they're Satan's, okay? And I'm telling you that the gods, of, the God and the gods of this world, man, the enemy and every demonic force and rulers and principalities, it's more than one. It's plural. When these demonic forces, they might be the God of this age, but little do they know. That they have servants of the God of this true age and the age to come that is still living here. They, their plans will not just be purposed over us. Their, their plans cannot just be overwhelmed over us. We, we serve the God of the ages. Though you just reign in this little age and you have your own little kingdom here. We serve the God of every age. It's for the ages. And, 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 and here are people blinded by the mind. Their minds are blinded by the God of this age. Again, Eugene says, all they have are eyes for this fashionable God of darkness. It's a fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want. And that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. Man, is that true? Verse 5, for we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord. And ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Did you see that? Let light shine out of darkness. <laughs> Not from a distance. I'm going to just shine my light. No, no, it's penetrating the darkness and going one, two, three, go. And light shines out of darkness. What does that mean? We're in this age and let our light shine through this age. We're in it. If God didn't want us in it, we wouldn't be in it. But we're in the darkness. So what do we do? You shine light through it. Let it penetrate the heart of it. Amen. Out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Excited about this stuff? I am pumped, man. Mark chapter 10. Let's read some more pumping scripture. Eh? Here we go. Some good scripture here. It says, yes, Jesus replied. Look what he says here. So good. I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers, this is powerful, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or property, for my sake and for the good news, look what he says, he will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, and then he says, along with persecution. 
There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of beautiful things, along with persecution. And in this world to come, in the age to come, that person will have eternal life, verse 31. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important men. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. What, what does that mean? Oh, these ages, the dynamics, the rules, it flips. Powerful people here, the least here will become the most. I mean, it just flips. It's an upside-down world. I'm going to come, and when you come to my age, I flip this thing upside down. Like, whoa, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I was just a servant my whole life. You're like, not anymore. Now you're a king. Now you're a king. Because you did servant so good in the last age, in the age to be, you're going to be now king. You're going to be governing, ruling. So the person who leaves house and lands and family for Jesus' sake, for the gospel, can expect that in this life, now, in this age, in this time, what is he saying by you will gain a hundredfold? Well, you're going to be able to enjoy fellowship with other believers. You're going to be able to find the welcome in the houses and the lands of other people. It grows because now you're part of an organism that is so big and so beautiful. And that's what he's really trying to say. Many times we read that scripture and we think, oh, it's materialism. If I give to the Lord, the Lord is going to give me so much more back. And that's what people do to manipulate your, your wallets. Hey, come and give me. Come and give to the church and you'll see how the Lord is going to give you. Now, he can because he's God and he knows your heart. But that's not the true definition of what the scripture is saying. That's not really what the hundredfold means. And it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful truth in the scripture here. If people pervert it. People mess up. It's okay. I'm not going to. Take out my vengeance on them. Let God deal with them. But, 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 but what, a, what a beautiful thing is, because if you think about this stuff, Paul, Peter had his wife. Is God really telling Peter to leave your wife? Many of the other apostles um, had, had, had wives, and uh, we see that. And, and Jesus himself had his own brothers. Uh, many times, however, they, these men, these people, they, what, what happens with Christians? They had to make heavy sacrifices for the sake of Christ and the gospel. That's what it's really talking about. That's what it means to leave brother, sister, mother, uncle. It means that there's going to be sacrifices. It doesn't mean that you're going to reject them, that you're going to totally walk away from them. But following the Lord may cause some very important relationships to go off. Just because your love for the Lord is so much more. But you're going to be blessed. And we see that. In this life, there's blessings. But these blessings, come on. How many of you can say in this life, in Christ, there's been blessings? Amen. But in the life of blessings, I'm telling you now, there's also mixed in it persecutions, problems. People die. People get sick. I mean, we get into accidents. I mean, there's going to be persecutions. Maybe it gets to a point where the church gets heavily persecuted here one day. I don't know. I can't promise you anything. But what? In the blessings, there will also be persecutions. And the future will yield an even better reward for us. And that is what? What does he say in this passage? It's eternal life. Amen. It's another, it's another dimension. It's, another, it's, it's glory with the Lord. And by answering in this way, Jesus is assuring the disciples that they've answered the call. They've answered the call, and they, re- they really are truly blessed. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, and I want to end with this passage. And, 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 and it's a passage, again, that, that has to do with some of the same stuff that we're talking about here. And I wanted to take you around Scripture so you could see that it's all over the text. This view, this idea, this teaching is all over Scripture. And, and I love what Paul is urging, encouraging. He's, he's speaking to Timothy here. And we read something that's very important. You should write uh, this, these notes down. I know they're, they're up there. You could catch them later on on the, on the app. But it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, 18, and 19. Listen to these words. Read these words. He tells young Timothy in, the, in, in ministry, he tells him this. He says, 
Command those who are rich in this present age. Notice the word choosing. Not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Uncertain riches. I like that phrase, uncertain riches. Not just riches, but uncertain riches. But in the living God, in the living God what? Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's what we should be prideful in. That's what we should have our trust in. In the living God who gives us richly, gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, look what he goes. He's, he's still on the same subject at verse 17. He's not coming off that subject. Please, it's all connected. He says, let them do good. There's good again. I'm telling you right now that when scripture talks about do good, do good works, I'm not ever trying to teach you or tell you that it means to do good or do good works so you could be saved. It is the whole understanding that because you are saved, you do good and you do good works. There's no penance here. You know what I'm saying? You're not giving me $50 and I'm going to give you a special holy water to drink and the holy special holy water is going to change your life. That's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's, it's no Christ. It's personal. And from there, you do good. You don't do good. It's like, ah, oh, maybe if I start doing good, I'll know him. No. It's because you've known him. Let them do good, he says. Look what he, why? Why should they do good? Here's why. That they be rich. He's talking about their earthly riches. But in verse 18, he says, let them be rich. Let them do good so that they could be rich. Now what? In what? In what? In good works. <laughs> Not on certain riches, but in good works, let them be rich. And what are, the, what, what are they, they going to do? They're going to be what? Ready to give. Willing to share. Come on, this is for the ages. This is what God's calling us to. Ready to give. Willing to share. Verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for this time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life for the times to come, for the age to come. I think you already got what this passage means. But just in case you didn't, this passage is not condemning the rich at all. And if anyone uses this scripture to condemn the rich, they're not studying it properly. It's not condemning the rich. What Paul is telling Timothy and teaching Timothy is, Tim, know how to lead those who are more fortunate. And this is how you should lead them. Teach them that in their riches, listen to this, they could be a benefit and a ministerial blessing in this present age and in the age to come. Teach them. It's not that riches are bad. It's that if in their riches, it fogs up their vision and or pollutes the heart, where they don't see that true riches are not the ones found or achieved here on earth, but it's finding the riches of knowing the living God, who gives us, what does he say? Richly all things to enjoy. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, teach them to do good. With what? With their riches, because they have it. So teach them to do good with it. And then, if they do good with their riches, because they've come to know Christ, then they'll be rich in what? In good works. They'll always now be ready, ready to give. And they'll always be willing, willing to share. I believe we've, we've been made rich. We've been given abundance. This has nothing to do right now with the mansion or the car you drive, none of that. Though amen to that stuff if it is, praise God, but I'm, it's deeper than that stuff. 
But we've been made rich. We've been given so much. This is a person that Paul is teaching Timothy. It's a person who is transformed in this present evil age that lives now for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. That's a very important statement. A person who's been transformed in this present evil age that lives for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. Not for themselves, but for others. Lives for others. And in that, we see in verse 19, what happens? They store for themselves a good foundation. A good foundation for the time to come. You know what that means? For the ages to come. That they will lay hold of that, which is eternal life. The age to come. I wrote this down in my notes and I, want, I would love for you to write this down because this is going to determine a lot about you. And it's one of the most important last things I'm going to say here. And it's this. Your view of God will determine your works for God. Your view of God will determine your works for God. That's for sure. So what? To not live comfortable and cautious and, and, and cautiously in this age, but, but to live for the purpose of the age to come. If that means what? Sharing all things, then we share all things. Ready to always give. We, we do it. It's for the ages. We do it. So here it is. We are gracious, caring, compassionate, serving people who in the riches that have been given to us by the Lord, we now share and give those riches to others. Why? Because this is for the ages. For this age, which is presently evil, and for the age to come, which is so good. Hallelujah. How many of you can say amen? It's for the ages. I'm going to ask you to stand with me there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want you to examine yourself, examine your heart. I want you to really see your view of God. Because that has determined in your life, like I said, your works for Him. I want you to really see where you're at. Do you truly live for the ages? I'm wondering if any of you are, are so caught up in this present evil age. Please listen and get freed from this. Are you so caught up by this present evil age that you're missing out on the blessings and the benefits of the age to come? I pray that you could be removed from that anxiety removed from that pressure that though you are in this present evil age though you might be living in darkness that your light would shine from within the darkness because you live for the age to come my life i tell you right now is for the ages it's presently before those that are here but it's before the one that is to come it's, it's for the ages Come on, right there where you're at, begin to humble yourself. Begin to cry out to God. 
Be broken before him. Pray what only you can pray to him. Speak what only you can speak to him. Surrender what only you can surrender to him. And say, Lord, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a son and a daughter for the ages, Lord. Transform me. Transform me into what you're calling me to be here. Make me kind. Make me compassionate. Make me, give me tenderness, Lord. Give me faith. Give me love for this age and for the age to come that it would speak heavily there. Not consumed by it, but consumed by you, Lord. Come on, just surrender those things. Can, can you take a moment there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay quiet for a second. Just you and God, open up the altar of your heart. Have a time with the Lord there. Lord, you know every person that's here that is watching and will watch. Lord, what a, what a calling we have. What a ministry we have. What a light that shines so deep we have. I pray, Lord, that this word would, would, would fall, would land deep soil fertile soil that there would be so much that comes from it especially during this time Lord we all have differences here some believe this is best the others believe that is best but it's not meant to divide let us let the church never be divided because of a political thing let us get deeper than that that we would recognize I'm not talking about Ness Lord I'm, I'm talking about the church 
let it not divide during this time. And if it's your purpose, because you're doing a work in the body, then, then amen, grace. But Lord, that this would be a time that in our stands on so many different things, that it's a, a beautiful time to show what unity may look like. To show what the organism of Christ looks like. Let at least this church, this family, never get caught up in that. Though we have differences and in conversation, they might come out. Let us learn and say, okay, I'm going to stop here. It's a little bit different. I'm going to honor that. That's different. I'm going to honor that. But never meant, Lord God, to cut, to break. That we would be wiser than that, better than that. That we would be gracious with our lives, with our words. And that repelling people, that we would actually draw people. And that especially during this time, Lord, that there would be such a, a beautiful harvest because of how the, how the church is adorned. That the, that, the, that, that the way that the church is adorned would be such a beauty for the sight of those and that they would, be, that they would want to be part of Christ. What a ministry we have. What a time we've been called for. This generation. Just like the generations of past and the things that they've gone through. What a time they were called. And yet, Lord, you're, you're calling another generation for just a specific moment. We've seen this stuff before. It's happened before in Scripture. It's happened in history. But Lord God, that there's going to be a remnant of church that's going to look different, smell different, sound different, that it's just going to be different because she lives not just for this age, but for the age to come. She has the revelation that it's for the ages. Lord, we thank you for such a timely word. We love you, Lord, and we honor you, and we give you all the glory and all the power. Strengthen this body, this family, as those that are part of our, our family all around the world. Strengthen, strengthen leaders and pastors and governors and mayors. Strengthen our city and communities, cities, states, country. Strengthen, Lord God, the western and the eastern, the northern and the southern hemisphere. Strengthen this earth from east to west, to north to south, Lord God. Let the glory of the Lord fall like a blanket in the land and let the bride of Christ usher it in. Let us, Lord God, be the remnant, Lord God. Let us be the voice. Let us be the ambassadors that, Lord God, signs and wonders would follow us all of our days, Lord. Lord, that we would speak a word, Lord. Lord, that we would do an act, Lord. But that we, Lord God, would be able, Lord God, to shake off the fiery, Lord God, um, serpents, Lord. That we, Lord God, would be able to walk with authority and power. Because, Lord, we are so, so so, so, Lord God, drowned and, 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 and just poured out and baptized in the world to come in the spirit of Christ, Lord, in the baptism of your word and of your spirit and of your truth, that it doesn't just fill these cups, but that these cups would overflow to the darkness, in the darkness, and that many more that are in the dark would come to know the light for such a time, for such a time to live in this age and for the age to come. We say, yes, Lord, here we are. Send us. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. And together we all say, Amen. And Amen. Come on, give them some praise. Give them a shout.
Like if you just won in the last minute left and you made the shot and the whole place just goes crazy and the angels are worshiping with you. There's a sound of heaven. Come on, there's a great praise to be heard. Hallelujah. So good. Love you all. Bless you all. Have an amazing, precious Sunday. See you on Wednesday's more gathering. You guys look good. Amen. Keep going forward. Give a few people some pounds. Love you all. See you here. See you again. See you again. Hallelujah. You're loved. You are loved.